This is Peden Doma Bhutia, Skift's Asia editor. And thank you for tuning in to the Skift India Travel podcast. I couldn't be happier presenting the debut edition of Skift's podcast on Indian travel. And for our inaugural show, I've invited two of my colleagues, research analyst Sanya Zankure and Asha Brizvi, to discuss Skift Research's latest report, The State of Travel. The report is a great insight into how travel has fully recovered in 2023. And for our listeners, we have some compelling data on how India is performing in the global travel recovery scenario. Stay tuned for you wouldn't want to miss this. Thank you very much. Welcome to the first edition of the Skift India podcast. Um I would like to welcome my two colleagues from the research department sania and ashap welcome sania and ashap and great work on the skift travel report the research team has really managed to bring out a compelling report and what's interesting is that the report brings with it good tidings for the travel industry as it says that 2023 is the year that travel completely recovered Uh, could you could you tell me a little bit about the report and what it says about the future of travel? Hi, Peden. Um, thank you. So we launched the state of travel report uh, last week, and uh, we can truly say that travel is certainly back. Um, this report essentially discusses about uh, some consumer trends surrounding remote work, blended travel. um the different travel sectors and uh, the different regions global performance essentially it's also pointing to certain challenges such as you know weaknesses in demand arising mainly from international travel not having entirely bounced back then the worries surrounding the global economy issues with supply um but overall we're happy to say that uh, travel is certainly back to pre-pandemic levels that's great news sanya while the report has some great insights defining the state of travel today and the trends that will shape the future i was i was especially interested in discussing the india perspective based on the report of course you mentioned that you know global travel is making a strong comeback but it is not up to the pre-pandemic level but uh, the report notes that india is part of the 100 uh, club with an index score of 113 as of june 2023 which means that there is a complete recovery to pre-pandemic performance levels and you know basically it's exceeded that as well so could you could you tell me a little bit about the score and what that means in the greater uh, context of global travel recovery because i see that india ranks third in the recovery and that's after turkey and mexico so could you tell me what did turkey and mexico do well that you know they rank first and second and then uh, talk a little bit about india as well of course um so giving some perspective on what the index really is um the skif travel health index um tracks performance across 22 different countries uh for 84 different indicators across sectors such as hotels aviation uh vacation rentals car rentals and uh, we've been doing this since 2020 and uh, the performance is indexed to that in 2019 because that was essentially the strongest year uh for travel 
so india like you mentioned india has made it uh, to the top uh, three countries after turkey and mexico india stands at 113 which means that uh, performance travel performance is uh, 13% above uh, 2019 levels uh and this is as of june 2023 right so um like you said for turkey turkey is um turkey is leading performance in june um which is essentially we feel because of the depreciating value of the lira uh, the turkish lira which uh, has made turkey an affordable destination for people to go to and um in terms of mexico um latin america we feel uh, never really close borders um so the moment travel restrictions uh, got better um uh, there there was travel boom in the country um as of india india ranks third um and is one of the very few countries actually where all the sectors have surpassed pre pandemic levels of performance um now when when we say that um although i when we look at asia pacific right um although the reopening of china was really what uh, drove global travel and um and uh, global recovery asia pacific uh, above pre pandemic levels when china when travel from china came to a standstill uh, it was india that was really um driving performance recovery in asia pacific um studies say that indians are the are, are some of the most confident travelers in 2023 um also in terms of um inflation while there are uh, some concerns surrounding the rising inflation and how that will potentially impact travel spending um we did we did a survey a multi country survey where um 60% of indian respondents actually mentioned that um economic they are optimistic about the economic conditions in the country and uh, travel spending this year as well so um i think india certainly has a lot of potential so sonia does that mean that indians are saying that no matter what no matter how expensive it might be if we have to travel we will travel um so peden i think uh, expensive in terms of uh, so there is a lot of gap in terms of disposable income in india right so i think uh, that always plays a part but i think domestic travel is what uh, really has driven india's recovery and uh, international travel is coming back as well like airline seat international airline seat capacity for example in june 2023 is 5.6% um above 2019 levels and then of course your report itself makes an observation that you know that the four asian countries that featured in the top 10 source market for inbound inbound arrivals to the us in 2019 even though none have recovered india is the closest to recovery sunny i would also like to go back to an earlier report that you had this year that talks about india being the front runner in asia pacific's rebound of course with china largely closed or very you know there is there are a lot of issues for china chinese outbound tourism to bounce back you mentioned in your report that since mid 2021 travel performance in india 
has been the driving force for Asia-Pacific's travel recovery. And last week, a report was released that said that Indian outbound tourism will be reaching almost 45 billion by 2032. So, of course, uh, while domestic demand has kind of led the travel recovery in India, international demand has now caught up and both are above 2019 levels, right? Right. Uh, they certainly have beaten. You're right. And uh, like you said, when we look at outbound travel, um, major Asian markets in India, major Asian um, markets for tourism in the US, um, India stands, for, uh, India is one of the top, I think the rank, uh, at the 10th rank, and it's just 4% below 2019 levels. And the other Asian countries like Japan, China, South Korea, uh, almost 40 to 80 percent behind what they used to be. Um, so certainly there is a lot of uh, outbound tourism potential uh, from India as well. Um, in fact, uh, some of uh, one of our business traveler surveys also had um, Indians responding that uh, a majority, 72 percent of them responded that uh, business travelers have extended trips for leisure purposes, right? Uh, so certainly uh, that does, international demand is certainly very significant. Um, and going back to backtracking a bit and talking about uh, how expensive it is, Indi uh, hotel published rates in India right now are um, 35 to 40% above uh, 2019 levels which is uh, which is really uh, really significant which is a which is significant growth um also when china when chinese travel did come to a standstill right india uh, travel boom in india was really uh, what uh, what brought the uptick in uh, travel performance in asia pacific Mm -hmm. I, I just want to add to that point, Sanya. I think uh, let's also not forget that India is a highly undersupplied market as far as hotels are concerned and hospitality is concerned. There is a greater demand and supply mm -hmm. is has not yet met the demand level, right? Yeah, um, certainly. But uh, that seems to be changing with uh, supply in India improving, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, Ashab, we don't want you to be so quiet. So I'd also like to talk to you a bit about the record orders of Indigo and Air India. Of course, everyone has been talking about that. And, uh, you know, we've heard we've heard the aviation minister talk about, you know, he has this great ambition to make India an aviation hub. And that is why they are, uh, you know, not really encouraging Middle Eastern carriers to increase the capacity. Now, um, Calling India an aviation hub might seem a more of a pipe dream right now, but how much of that is can be a reality? Right, right. Yes, that's a that's a great question. I think uh, ever since uh, Indigo's order at the Paris Air Show for 450 new airplanes has been around, there's there's been a lot of talk within the aviation industry as well as overall uh, in other travel related sectors as well. How much of Indian aviation market is supposedly going to grow or is it just uh, uh, very untimely? So I, I think uh, I have two different perspectives here. One is some reasons to be a little optimistic, why things can go really well from here. 
and then certainly some concerns on whether or not uh, this might turn out to be great or not so few reasons why i feel uh, there is there's, there there is the right amount of optimism here uh, starting with the fact that the government right now it's mindful of how uh you know economies of middle eastern countries were in fact transformed by the aviation industry and very re- and as recent as june it ended up denying emirates uh for uh, for, for an application to place uh, you know they wanted more access to india but they were told that they won't be getting any more access to india similarly the fact that india plans to build more hubs again the role of the government here is, is potentially very large that they want to build hubs both in delhi as well as bombay so again the government's effort to uh, not only invest money in infrastructure but they want to make sure that our uh, airlines especially indigo as well as air india they take full advantage of this newer and better infrastructure and then the fact that uh in india is a fast growing uh, airline market and this is not a new fact much of that growth although has been concentrated in domestic market but things have been changing and the one thing that has really changed things here is the fact that air india has is now privatized and it has been enlarged through a lot of consolidation as well and uh, while indigo has in fact proved its metal on short short haul flights but it's yet to prove uh, uh it's it's metal it's a substance on longer routes where there's a lot more competition but clearly indigo is right there uh where it is supposed to be so yeah, but i think first uh, for indigo um, sorry i'm just i'm just making a point for indigo to prove mm-hmm. itself in the long haul uh, hub it needs to have the planes right now right right now they have that's like right. two xlrs and that's where right. they are traveling to turkey and then they have this right. unique code share with turkish airlines where they are connecting yeah. to other other countries uh, and also the US mm-hmm. but for that in- indigo needs uh, bigger aircraft right and very soon it will start flying those uh, newer and better a21 xlrs where the reach is going to be very deep in europe as well and they certainly won't want they wouldn't be content with just air india dominating the entire international market on their own so in the shorter term unless they get those xlrs with them it, it probably might be a challenge but in the medium and the longer term indigo will be very well placed to challenge uh, not only middle eastern uh, airlines but uh, as well as other airlines and even air india to a lot of extent so in the medium term i would expect in the short term i would expect there is there won't be any major changes except for the fact that their code share agreement with the turkish airlines by the way is working very well and it will continue to do so but in the medium and the longer run with better and newer aircraft technology and specifically with the addition of the A20 A321 XLRs they will be in position to challenge uh, and and solidify their position in the international market I want you to discuss a bit about the twin airports strategy as well that India has with Delhi and Bombay. You know, we were discussing it earlier and uh, you made that point about how uh, you know Bombay is owned by one owner and Delhi is owned by uh, you know Delhi the two airports will be owned by two different owners. So how does that uh, pan out? 
Right, right. So as discussed, uh, very soon, both Delhi and Bombay will become twin airport cities. Uh, Navi Mumbai will have an additional airport, which already has a name, Navi Mumbai International Airport, NMIA. And uh, uh, the new Delhi airport is, going, is, is coming up at Jewar Noida. Uh, and it is going to be managed by Zurich Airport International, which, by the way, is the only airport with 100% FDI investment as well. So, the But the only difference between these two cities is the fact that the two Delhi airports are managed by two different operators. The IGI airport is managed by GMR and uh, the newer Jewar airport will be managed by the Zurich group. But Bombay, both of these airports, the existing airport as well as the newer uh, Noida Interna- uh, Mumbai International Airport will be managed by the Adani group. So I think the advantage that Mumbai has over Delhi is the fact that one single operator can have a better strategy in place. Maybe one airport can be used largely for domestic purposes and one airport can be used for international purposes. But again, that is a decision of the airport operator. can make. What I'm trying to say here is they have the luxury of making that choice. Whereas in the case of Delhi, both of these airport operators will be battling it out and competing with each other um, in, in the case of slots, in case of connectivity and reach. Uh, so I think that's going to be a lot more challenging and an interesting space to watch out for. But I think that in both of these, I think it's estimated that by 2033, uh, Delhi's combined capacity would be about 170 million passengers and uh, Bombay's combined capacity is going to be over uh, 110 million passengers, which is great uh, for a country and for a market that is as huge as India. But uh, we'll only, uh, it, the only future is going to tell how uh, these airports will be managed and how effectively they will be managed. I mean, yeah, millions of passengers is a dream for every industry, especially aviation. And, right, uh, right. you know, let's, let's also talk about the demographic advantage that India enjoys, where there is a latent potential of millions of new international travelers. Because, uh, you know, uh, all of us know, like the report mentions it, international travel remains a luxury in countries like India. Okay, but here there is also an interesting point because less than 10% of India's population owns a passport. Yeah, And uh, of course, there is also when we talk about travel being a luxury, there is also the fact the cost factor is also very much there. You know, I did a recent story on how international travel is now going to be more expensive in India due to the imposition of the 20% tax on international travel packages. Of course, the government has not figured it out because there have been so many changes to this rule and uh, exemptions and changes. So, you know, it was supposed to start from the 1st of July and now they've held back and said that it's going to start from 1st of October, which I am guessing there'll be more changes to that. But... uh, when we are talking about this huge potential, these 110 million passengers coming out, should we also not be looking at the fact that India's, you know, the smaller cities, uh, you know, the tier two, the, what we call the tier two and the tier three cities of India is where the travelers are coming from. And um, Ashab, of course, uh, you know, there has been talks of privatization of these tier two uh, city airports as well. India has been privatizing airports, uh, you know, they've done around six airports last year and there are more to go. So uh, privatization of the airports, uh, would that also make travel, facilitate travel? 
Yeah, I mean, I just, I think I, I'll, I'll break it into a few uh, parts. So one question about India having geographical advantage and the strategic advantage that both Delhi and Bombay have. I think Delhi, to a larger extent, is, I think, very well positioned geographically. It sits uh, uh, in Europe, sits at India's north, where there is Africa and then Middle East to its southwest. And then there are Asian markets like uh, China, Japan, and Korea to the northeast. So I think there is a lot of potential traffic flows happening and Delhi can in fact take very good advantage of it and similarly Bombay, uh, Delhi to a greater extent. Uh, the second part is where you talked about how privatization can actually have, and, and, and I do agree that uh, India's Indian government is actually mulling over and seriously contemplating privatizing a lot more airports. We don't know officially what the government plans to do, but there have been uh, there have been talks with media, there are rumors around that there, the government is actually planning to private at least 10 more airports. And this time, the strategy is going to be a lot different from the one that they had previously when they privatized six airports. So I think that will definitely help. And if you, and we can actually see, we can actually see that the six airports that were privatized, the way the airport operator has uh, worked there, and, I, and, and we know that there's a single operator that's managing the six airports. And the way they have transport the, transformed the airline strategy as well as the non-aero strategy is something to look at. So clearly, there is there, there is there is a lot of potential. There. Plus the fact that the government, AI, which is uh, Airport Authority of India, it realizes that airports probably, especially in these tier two cities, which are actually feeder cities to the metro uh, cities, can can be better managed by a private player in place. So. I feel that there is uh, there is the scope of private players really managing these airports very well and harnessing the true potential of these airports as well as the cities. Uh -huh. Sunny, I'd also like you to chime in because uh, you are also based in Pune, uh, yeah. which is considered a tier two city, but which is fueling a lot of the travel that's coming in from Mumbai. Yeah, Peyton, I think uh, in terms of, uh, like you said, right, um, going back to the point where you said that only 10% of um, people in India actually have... Less than 10%, not even 10%. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, I mean, Indians, we say we're global and we've had, uh, we've had a lot of discussions about this uh, in the past, right? But then again, I feel it goes back... Uh, to the point where um, there is so much uh, there, there's so much gap in uh, disposable income, right? So I think uh, I, I just chime on what uh, what 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 Sanya was pointing out, Peden, that uh, but, but slightly different point. I think that even like like India is largely a domestic market here, right? And almost ninety five percent of the total market is dominated by a domestic market. And one thing to note here is that. Uh, even like India's domestic uh, passenger load factors are as high as 80%. And this, this number is better than what we see in the US, in Japan, which are very mature aviation markets. So I, I think that as middle class continues to grow, I mean, the kind of traffic that we're seeing right now in domestic uh, is, is more than 85% of what it used to be 10 years ago. And so I think there's going to be a lot more that will continue to happen. And uh, with, I think the price sensitivity as clear as it is there, but I think there is very, 
there, there, there is not a direct relation between, at least that's what I see right now, that even though prices right now are almost 1,000, 100% more than what they used to be, but even then the domestic load factors are more than 80%, 85%, 82% in certain cases. So I do think that that even though that price sensitivity is there, but as the middle class continues to grow and as our economy continues to grow, uh, we can potentially move to a much more, we are on the path of moving to a much more matured aviation market. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm connected. Sorry, Sanya, go so, ahead. So um, uh, what I was trying to say was that uh, while um, we do have a lot of, India has a lot of population, which is uh, millennials and Gen Z. And um, there was a report that was released, which said that there, we do see an upward mobility in terms of um in terms of household income. Um, but still, I mean, the disparity in income still remains large. And while, um, you know, Gen Z and millennials are the people who are more keen on traveling, but um, until and unless we actually have uh, those many jobs that will actually, and we're able to pay these people, um, you know, actually having people travel uh, so much and, uh, giving out those you know that kind of uh, those kind of outbound tourism numbers um still remains more like a dream i feel for india yeah and uh, let's also discuss a little bit about you know since you since you said the buzzword millennials and gen z uh, you know the report uh, the skiff travel report also talks about the mobile phone penetration in the country and how a majority of online travel bookings are made using phones Let's not forget that India has one of the cheapest data plans in the world, right? I mean, uh, for a 2 yeah. GB, uh, you, you, for a 399 rupees, you're getting uh, per month, I think you're getting uh, 2.5 GB per day, which I don't think so you can get anywhere else in the world. So this has also given rise to um, uh, an influencer culture in India where, you know, many of them are... Uh, and, uh, you know, tourism boards are, uh, you know, making these influencers travel and hotels are inviting them. So um, I, I want you both to talk about a little about the mobile phone penetration in the country and how that is also helping, uh, you know, travel surge. Sure, I can go ahead, uh, Peter, if you want. Maybe Sadia can throw in some numbers here. But uh, I, I'm not necessarily familiar with a lot of numbers here. But uh, what I can tell you for sure is that the content economy in India is growing at a pace which is unprecedented. And uh, we, we also talked about how Bollywood and uh, movie stars and the culture that uh, that Bollywood exerts uh, on, on regular people in India, the kind of influences exerts on the regular people of India and in, in our, uh, in not just in, in, in not just our eating habits, but even our spending habits, it can have a major influence. And, and, and hence we see Qatar partnering with Deepika Padukone and some other airlines partnering with other Bollywood stars. So, and that has helped them reap a lot of benefits as well. We see major hotel chains partnering, uh, with, with influencers, local influencers, which is also fueling a lot of, a lot of that tourism and inflow. So. There, there, there is a lot of potential here and not just potential. I think this is going to just grow at a massive pace. But Sanya can clearly add as she's the in-house expert on the topic. That was just my two cents. I think it also helps. Um, we, we were speaking about this before that undiscovered places, right? Uh, 
when people who when influencers do end up going to places where uh, which people don't normally go to and then india is so huge so um it is sort of helping these uh, smaller um smaller locations to uh develop tourism as well but uh, when it comes to mobile phone penetration uh out of um 1.2 billion people that actually have mobile phones 750 uh, million people actually use a smartphone and uh, we did say that that in 2000 our report does say that back in 2019 60% of um the bookings that were made online were made using a mobile phone uh, so really i mean a phone is uh, really i mean so essential right uh, for everybody to have and most of the population does have it but uh, like pedin said although data is so cheap in india uh, internet penetration is somewhere only around 50 to 52% percent. um so not everybody has access to this so there is still a lot of gap in that sense in terms of uh, where this could go if everybody in india had uh, internet access right um so i feel even in uh, even in that way travel remains a luxury in india just talking about the influencers uh, you know i i just uh, wanted to find out uh, you know how's the creator economy in india and i came across this fact that you know according to a study by oxford economics uh, youtube creators alone in india contributed over 10000 crore rupees which is roughly around 120 billion to uh, india's gdp in 2021 so uh, i think that's food for thought i think that's uh, a topic that we should be discussing next time when we discuss it but thank you so much sanya and ashav for this enlightening conversation i had great fun chatting with you and i got to know a lot from the two of you thank you so much for being part of this thank you Thanks for having Thanks, us. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, Daniel. Thank you. This has been the Skift India Travel Podcast. Thank you for listening.